It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey there, and welcome back to the Locked On Celtics podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Thank you for downloading us wherever it is that you get our podcast, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, the TuneIn app. We're everywhere. If this is your first time listening, search for Locked On Celtics. Go subscribe. Give us a rating. Give us that five-star rating that I so desperately desire. Help us. Help us. Um... We are here to talk all week about the Celtics positionally. That's what we're doing this week. We're back on our daily podcast, on our daily grind. Today we're going to be talking about point guards. And a lot has changed in the point guard situation. Uh, here to talk about that with me today is Sam Jam Packard. Here in for Jay today. Uh, thanks for clearing some time and, and filling in for us today, Jam. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Happy to discuss... Uh... The point guards on the Boston Celtics. Yeah, so we know the guy that leads this team is Isaiah Thomas. He's the guy. So let's get into this a little bit. We've talked at length on this show, on other shows. The first question we get is, how does Al Horford affect this team? And the first answer I always give is that it's going to probably make Isaiah Thomas more efficient. The question is, I guess how much more efficient can he be? Uh, his, his shooting needs to uh, get uh, a, a little a little stronger, I think. If he can bump that shooting, that three-point shooting up to... He was at 36% last year. I think if he can get that up to 38 to 40, if he got that up to 40, holy crap, that'd be amazing. But if he can get that up a couple of percentage points, that'd be great. If he can get his overall shooting up, I mean, he was at 43% last season. If he can get that up a few points, that would be great. So I guess there here, Sam, is the is Al Horford, are we overblowing the Al Horford effect here? Do we think that Isaiah Thomas truly can become a more efficient player, or is this 43% uh, overall shooter, 30-something, 35 36% from three guys. That's just who he is. I think it's a tough question. I, I think we've pretty much seen who he is. I don't think if when Al Horford comes in, he's going to drastically improve uh, kind of his looks from the three-point line. I think he's going to create a lot of space in the paint, and we might see Isaiah become more efficient uh, around the rim. But I don't think there's this leaps and bounds that Isaiah can get to just with the mere presence of Al Horford. I definitely think he's going to make uh, space spacing easier, and I think we may see Isaiah's assist numbers go up. But in terms of shooting, and especially three-point shooting, I don't see him just making like this being the year that he suddenly shoots 40% from three. Yeah, I, I think that th- there is something to be said about his assists going up for sure. Uh, I think if you spread the floor... Isaiah is going to have an opportunity when the defense overreacts to him getting into the lane 
to really exploit that and get some guys some good looks and and comfortable looks that they're they're going to make. I guess with Horford there now, rather than Sullinger, he can pop way out. He can he can roll, and there's the threat of him rolling that people have to respect. So I think we might be able to see some improvement in his, especially his two-point shooting percentage, because he was shooting about 46% from two. And a lot of that, I think, is that longer to, uh, because he's shooting like 60-something percent at the rim. First of all, I think fewer of those shots are going to come from the long two area. I think he's just going to get more more trips to the more lanes to the basket and more trips to the free throw line. And so I think that there's some room just just because Al Horford is there to bump up those percentages at least one or two points. Oh yeah, I'd I'd have to agree. And I think in terms of his his three-point percentage and it kind of ties into well, we'll be talking about the rest of the episode. I feel like I don't know this because I can't don't have the stats right in front of me, but I feel like Isaiah was a lot better from three on when he was a catch and shoot, and he was kind of a an off ball player playing with Evan Turner in the lineup. So it's going to be curious to see what kind of situations Brad Stevens going to be able to get him in when he's not the primary ball handler, and see um, if there are some open looks for him from three. If Terry Rozier or Marcus Smart or ball handler X to be named later is in the game because that's when we really saw him Isaiah at least at shooting at his best he's not going to type of the guy who's going to pound the ball into the ground and like do a dribble move and then just pull up he's more in terms of a three-point shooter it feels like he's more a uh, much better in a catch and shoot situation yeah uh that's that's gonna be an interesting question because a lot of the split a lot of the uh the the three and four man lineups the for a lot of these guys actually they're the best that they had out there was with Evan Turner and since he's gone I wonder what the Celtics are going to be able to do with Isaiah playing off the ball that that's really going to be a big question who is going to handle that the, the point guard responsibilities if Isaiah is going to play off the ball. Are they going to rely on Marcus Smart? They're going to put him on the floor at the same time with Isaiah, or is it going to be somebody else? Can somebody else? Is there somebody else that can do that? Uh, I don't think so. So, will we see less Isaiah off the ball? Which is something that I like. And if we see less Isaiah off the ball, is that a possibility that he'll become less effective? It's a tough situation because the great thing about Evan Turner is you really – he was a playmaker and he could play pick and roll and you kind of trusted him. Right now, um, Terry Rozier, we saw him drastically improve in Summer League, but it was Summer League. But you really don't think of him as like a great decision maker. Marcus Smart kind of made uh, great improvements in terms of his passing out of the pick and roll. He really got better at his kind of that pocket pass, but – there's, if you're running the offense and you have Isaiah on the court, it seems kind of foolish to say, all right, let's run a play where either Marcus or Terry Rozier are going are to kind of start the action because that's just not you're putting your best foot forward. I, I think maybe some of this will fall onto Brad Stevens where the ball, Isaiah starts with the ball, but then gives it up and then it's depending on who, uh, how the lineups shake out, you, you dump it off to Horford 
and then he runs something with Bradley or with Jay Crowder even, or some in some scenarios with Kelly Olynyk, who can put the ball on the floor at least a couple of times. But then you run Hor- uh, Thomas off the ball that way. where So he'll start the action, but then he goes away and then comes back into it some other way. So he's not just hanging around the perimeter waiting for other guys to do their thing. He comes in, dribbles it up, runs something, a dribble handoff with somebody, and then goes off and runs some side action with one of the wings or one of the other bigs and then comes back and and can get some catch-and-shoot looks that way. Yeah, that's the fun thing about having Horford in there is he is such a great passer, so you can kind of do multiple actions and start with him. And all this is the general spacing that we talked about earlier that's probably going to help Isaiah out uh, around the rim – it's going to help out the entire offense. So I think it's going to really help uh, Brad Stevens in terms of um, the first action, the reactions to those actions, and kind of just general spacing will improve looks. And that's why he said, what was it last week, that he wants to become more efficient on offense. I think uh, Al Horford definitely helps that goal. Yeah, I mean, that is that is the ultimate goal, getting more efficient. Because this team, the one thing, they could score a little bit, but not, if, if it was... Just half-court situations like we saw in that Atlanta series when they had to rely on half-court basketball, they were done. So they had to run. Any sort of efficiency came from when they ran and got those transition threes. The transition threes were great, but those didn't come very very often against a good defensive team. So uh, I guess now with Isaiah Thomas, another question is, we saw a big uptick in his, his usage last year. Played 32 minutes a game, which is... Uh, well, he had one year in Sacramento where he, was, he got 34, almost 35. Uh, and he averaged 20 points a game. So last, last season he had 32 minutes and he averaged 22 points a game. So, But there was always the question of how many minutes can he play and still be effective. And last year, I think I think the 32 minutes was great. Is he going to have to play more? I wonder if there's a scenario here where he's going to end up getting more minutes out of necessity. Yeah, it really depends on the, the two backups and whether or not they can be sustainable for the long term. Because if there's, what, 15 minutes a game where you really can't generate an offense because your two backup point guards are not efficient or really don't know what they're doing you're going to Stevens is going to want to go back to Isaiah uh, more and more often uh we saw he's as such a small guy he can take some falls there I think remember one play last year I think it was against Milwaukee towards the end of the season where he hurt that wrist and we saw that affect him um early in the playoffs at least at least down the stretch he's a small guy and part of that is that he's going to take some big falls and I don't know if they can really rely on him to play more than what he did last season. So it, I think it's like a nice transition point to how successful do we, can we, do we think Marcus Smart and Terry Rozier are going to be as those backup point guards? Yeah, okay, let's talk about Marcus Smart here then. Uh, so let's Isaiah Thomas is going to be Isaiah Thomas. I think everybody expects kind of similar production from Isaiah this year, which would be fine if we get that same the same numbers out of Isaiah this year as we did last year, I'll gladly take the twenty two points and six assists, and and you know we'll see we'll see about the efficiency and whatever. 
Marcus Smart is really the big question. When we're talking about the team's point guards, Marcus Smart's the big question. Can he take Evan Turner's minutes and be an effective second unit leader? Can he create for his teammates? Can he make good decisions? And can he do that without shooting like... 20% 20% from three like he did last year. That I think the biggest question, that's one of the biggest questions that has to be answered this upcoming season. Can Marcus Smart be your full-time backup point guard? In my brain, I said yes, and then I just checked out his basketball reference page from last year, and just his stats are pretty god-awful. It was nine points a game, three assists, and then, like you said, 25% from three in a total field goal percentage of like right around 35%. It just it doesn't seem like Marcus Smart as the primary ball handler running the offense. That's not what you kind of that's not how he makes his money. Marcus Smart's the all hustle guy playing great defense. Um he did make great strides in kind of reading the pick and roll and making those passes, but it's still not something that comes easily to him and it's not I'm not going to look forward to possessions with him at the top of the key. It's, I think he's going to play more minutes. I think he's going to be a good, very good sixth man. But I don't think he's – he definitely is going to have a tough time filling in for Evan Turner in terms of facilitating offense on the, on the second team. Yeah, there, there's one thing that Turner did was he could calm things down, uh, especially towards the second half of the season last year where he really could take – control it when things weren't going well he could get himself into a position to score when needed now I don't want to make generalizations about smart who is going into his third year and as I, I've said all the time about smart he he missed significant time in both seasons he played 61 games last year and that's he played he's played 128 over over the course of two uh, two seasons, so he's he's played less than seventy games in his first two years. His rookie season, Rajon Rondo was the starting point guard, which feels like forever ago. And I say that a bunch of times, but I, I want to hammer that point home. It feels like Rondo's been gone for a decade now, but Smart was here as a rookie under his tutelage, so. It's been a long road, and he's had a, a number of different roles. This will be the first time where he's coming in and has, a, uh, I think, a more defined role. At least the opportunity to win a more defined role. So I don't know if he's going to do some of these things that we're asking him to do. He's not even 23 years old yet. He's got plenty of room to improve. Plenty of room to improve that shooting, which was wretched. Uh, but the interesting thing about Marcus Smart shooting... I was looking up the numbers. He shot 34% in the playoffs, which for a guy that's been sh- that shot 25% in the regular season, that was huge. And for a guy who shot terribly in fourth quarters, he shot 33%. So he he was the guy that always found a way after shooting 0 for whatever to hit that shot somewhere late in the game. So he's got it in him. I feel like there's something in there, whether mentally 
or if he just needs to focus on, on his form or something, he's got the potential for at least average shooting in him. Oh yeah, and we it, he's it kind of when the moment rises, Marcus Smart is makes that makes the big three, or at least that's how it feels. But again, that gets back. He's not that shows him more of as a shooting guard, more of an off ball player. He's not the type of player that um, is going to get into the paint and get it, create his own offense like Evan Turner did last year. I don't really see him or him making him making his biggest contributions kind of as the leader of the second unit, as I guess Evan Turner did last year. I oftentimes will see him kind of coming in playing along Isaiah Jay Crowder and Avery Bradley. Maybe so when the Celtics go small, having them have that, that great defensive lineup and making the biggest impact that way is kind of one of that, those spot up shooters who can kind of create that chaos on defense and make those plays in transition. But I don't think kind of as, the guy who needs to come in and facilitate, thats I just don't see him in that role. I, and Maybe he'll develop into that role, and the fact that Rondo was here initially and that Isaiah's been here, he hasn't really had to do that, has hurt his development, but it's just not something I see him, the Celtics going to, especially if they're trying to win basketball games. Well, we're going to have to see with him because I think, I think of all the the positions the Celtics have, this this point guard, the backup point guard is kind of maybe the most crucial when we're entering the season because it comes down to Smart and it comes down to Terry Rozier, who had a fantastic summer league and we saw him in flashes last year uh, make some contributions, but this is still a second year player and even though I liked seeing the decisions that he was making in in summer league, which is a huge thing to see improvement in, who knows? Who knows what you can come out here and have a good summer league and then come into the regular season and just be terrible. So, can you know what? What if Terry Rozier? I mean, could we look at a position where Terry Rozier ends up becoming? one of the primary ball handlers off the bench and smart, like you said, comes in and just plays off the ball somehow. If I had to guess, I would have to lean towards that just because I feel like Rozier's game lends itself more to being a primary ball handler. I feel like his kind of explosiveness and ability to get into the paint is better than smarts. It's just, he's a young second year point guard and we it's really hard in the NBA to succeed early on as a point guard just with kind of breaking down the game and decision-making. So it's whether or not Brad Stevens and the Celtics are really willing to kind of work through his mistakes with him on the court because it's really difficult to be that kind of quarterback in this league, especially when you're so young. And you, But at the same time, I guess Rozier is going to need to get those reps because we, we did see some improvement from when he was first drafted through the end of last year through Summer League. So it's not like he's not improving, but it's it's kind of a tough situation because you don't. Brad Stevens wants to win basketball games, and you don't want to just give keep throwing a guy out there if he's going to continually making mistakes in the pick and roll or continually make turnovers. Yeah, that that's going to be that's going to be a tough one for Rozier because it's one thing to make the good decisions that he did in summer league against borderline guys, but when you're out there playing the Raptors and playing the Cavaliers, those those lanes that may open up or seem to open up aren't necessarily there. And some of the passes that he could have made against lesser defenses 
might not make it to their intended target when the regular season comes around, you're playing NBA caliber teams. So NBA caliber players. So I, I want to put a, a lot of faith in Rozier having seen growth and you're right. I think his game is more of a point guards kind of game. Whereas I think smart is kind of this hybrid guy and they need him to be a hybrid guy. Smart, look, they need to throw him in weird situations where he does guard a big somehow, some way, like those weird decisions that, that Stevens makes to throw Smart against the other team's small forward. Like at some point, maybe he's going to end up guarding LeBron in certain situations. That's not something you normally ask your point guard to do. And on top of all of that, when you expend that much effort on defense, you got to then pick up the ball and come back and run the offense. That's hard to do. That's physically taxing. And when you start getting exhausted, then you start making mistakes. And a guy who puts that much effort into his defense, it's going to be hard to ask him to do all of that stuff and then come back and then run the offense and be thinking clearly when you've just been bounced off the floor and you're you're exhausted and you're running on fumes you you do silly things in those situations so you could be looking at a situation where he's turning the ball over more and making bad decisions so how the Celtics handled the backup point guard role is huge it's the Evan, the loss of Evan Turner and I can't believe I'm the guy that's saying <laughs> this the loss of Evan Turner really puts like that hurts that really hurts it would, that's such a 180 from what I was. <laughs> I am shocked to hear one you say year this right ago. Now. But I, I think what we saw again. This was all after Lee left. Once David Lee was gone and that middle wasn't clogged anymore, then we saw what Evan Turner's true impact could be. And I'll be the first one to admit that that things changed for for him at that point, and he, he became a much more effective guy. So. And it's entirely possible I may have been a little harsh on him earlier last season, but whatever. As a staunch Evan Turner defender, I it, it really I'm beaming with pride right now to hear you say that, and I, I have to agree. But it's going to be really really interesting to see. I think the first 20 games of the season and see what kind of stuff um, Stevens does with the rotations. It feels like uh, at least in the first quarter of the games, um, the first 20 games of the season. I mean that he really likes to mix and match and kind of see what his team is and see what works. And then as the season go on, he kind of solidifies into um, more of a steady rotation. And there's going to be people at the start. And I remember last year there was like kind of complaints from the team themselves, actually. I think Jay Crowder and Isaiah Thomas came out mm-hmm. and said, we need to know what our rotation is. We need to know what our rotation is. But I think it's kind of Brad Stevens likes to tinker. He likes to experiment, and it's going to be very curious to see how he deals with this issue, especially early on in the season. It's going to because he's going to start out thinking one thing, and it's going to be very, uh, very interesting to see how he adjusts moving forward. Yeah, I'm sure there's some desire to experiment just to kind of see what guys can do in certain situations. Because you never know what if somebody gets hurt. This is going to be a problem. What if Marcus Smart gets hurt again? That's another. What if issue. Isaiah gets hurt? I mean, uh, then their entire blah blah la la la. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. La 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 la. Yeah, that would be <laughs> horrible. That would be uh, what we would call devastating to the Boston Celtics. But it, and and that's part of why this is all so important. And Marcus Smart and what's he really going to be 
moving forward. It's all so important because, like you said, Isaiah takes so many bumps, man. He hits that deck over and over. Each of the last two seasons, he has fallen hard on his tailbone. He missed time a couple years ago with Boston after doing that. And then last year, I forget the game. I remember I was at this game and I saw him fall awkwardly and I was like, oh man, it's happening again. It, he can't keep doing what he's doing. And, and the player that Isaiah Thomas is, it doesn't age very well because you keep getting bumped and you keep falling on the, on the floor. At some point, one of those bumps gets a little too hard and it just you can't keep coming up from that you can't keep getting back up all the time and and you brace yourself and you, you brace yourself with your wrist and that gets hurt again so they need Marcus Smart and they need Terry Rozier to kind of step up and and be integral parts of this point guard rotation they need both of those guys or they need somebody else to to come in and figure this out and it's entirely possible that part of it might come in a midseason trade. We we always know that that's always possible, but it's definitely something to watch. The Celtics point guard situation is very tenuous. It's so many questions because we don't know. We got two really young guys behind Isaiah Thomas. We really don't know what we're going to get. This could be a very different year for Marcus Smart. And obviously, Terry Rozier, this is his first time going to get some significant minutes. So give me the shrug. The shrug emoji's back. I don't know with these guys what we're going to get. Given that we don't know and that Isaiah is so potentially, I don't want to call him fragile, but he's potentially injury prone, do you think it was a mistake by Danny Ainge not to at least bring in another body or another person to play that backup um, point guard role. I'm looking at just kind of players or point guards who are assigned this um, this offseason. You're obviously not going to bring in someone like Delhi who has got an absurd amount of money or Jeremy Lin, but there's kind of lower people like Brandon Jennings got one year, $5 million. I guess Ty Lawson's still on the market. Someone like Jared Bayless is the would Do you think given that they're point or backup point guard so uncertain that they should have brought in someone kind of these lesser name players. You know, that's a tough call because you you do have these two guys that that could theoretically do the job. There are a lot of questions, but the answers are are on the team, like the potential answers. And if if look, you've got Marcus Smart who's the third pick or wait, no, he was the fifth pick. I'm sorry, sixth, sixth, I think. Right. Sorry, I'm getting all of my draft picks confused. Sorry, but a lottery pick who's now going into his third year. So, if you're not going to give him the opportunity to do this, then like if you bring in somebody else, then. I know I'd be sitting here at this particular moment sitting and say, if, if he doesn't trust Marcus Smart now, he'll never trust them. So you have to give him the opportunity to fail, I guess. You have to let him go seize this opportunity. And if he can't handle it, then, then you start looking at you know veterans who may be playing overseas or, or, or finding a way to get somebody else in. But... 
you still, even though all of these questions are there, even though I'm not sure exactly what these guys are going to become, you still have to let them figure it out. Like Marcus Smart is, this is his time, and there are hopes, and you've got to explain to him the this is the role that we want you to have, and see if he can go seize that moment. Yeah, I think that's ultimately right. I mean, that, once I read those names off, I immediately said, "No, there's no <laughs> reason to quit." Like, there's Jared Bayless for whatever money he was. And you're and you're ultimately right. It's like these guys either have to prove that they deserve to play in the NBA and deserve minutes, Terry Rozier and Marcus Smart, or they're not. And bringing in another old veteran is really not going to help that out. Um, the one last possible option you said mentioned, like bringing people overseas if they don't work out, was uh, actually Demetrius Jackson, who I'm guessing is going to spend a bunch of time in the D League this year. Is any chance that he kind of will step in and get? Uh, at least a trial run at point guard or trying to get some point guard minutes. There's a, there's a possibility there. I, I mean, they gave him a, a nice deal. Uh, he could be a wild card. He absolutely could be a wild card in this situation. They, but he's, he's another, you know, smaller guy. So, uh, I don't know if he's going to step right in and, and do what, what we're hoping he's going to do, but who knows? Um, he he's definitely there for part of the competition, and if he can outplay Terry Rozier, then he has the opportunity to outplay Terry Rozier and grab some of those minutes. You know, we didn't we didn't see him do that much in summer league, but that's that's a completely different animal. So yeah, he'll be in the mix. Uh, and I know there are people who are, who are out there saying, hey, if the if the point guard situation was so bad, why didn't we just draft Chris Dunn and get that over with? Like that would have been that would have been a smart thing to do too. But I think that falls under the same thing that I was just saying. You don't bring in another a point guard. You've got Marcus Smart. And if you trust Marcus Smart, you go a different direction. So uh, I, think, I think Smart's the guy. I think Smart's going to get the opportunity to be a, a major, major contributor, even more so than he has been over the past uh, the past few seasons. He's going to get a chance to play more minutes and a larger role, a more involved role. And Rozier is going to be kind of like uh, an overflow guy, I think. And in in the first few games of the season, the first few weeks of the season, we'll start to see who kind of shakes out as the primary guy to run the offense and and where Marcus Smart really fits if he's just going to continue to be just a almost positionless guy. He's just a backcourt guy. That's where I ultimately think he ends up is just kind of he's going to back up pretty much every position and be the kind of the ultimate sixth man. And I guess my one final question I have for you on Smart is how many minutes do you think he ends up playing per game? Do you think I think last year he was around, uh, yeah, he was around 27. I think he could go as high as 30, 32, but, and that's a lot of minutes to be giving your, a guy off the bench. Well, yeah, I think, I think he should be, yeah, he's played 27 minutes a game each of the first two seasons. So I think he should be somewhere up in the low 30s easily. And, and that's what he's going to need to be if he's playing that primary backup role. But yeah, he can be, he can back you up. He's six four. He's a he's a brick house. He's like 
He can defend Paul Millsap if you need him to. If you need him to, yes, he can do a lot of things. So I think, I think you need him on the floor, and it's just the the real question is in which capacity will he help the Celtics most? And it just may be that he's better on the floor coming off the bench. Maybe he just comes in with Rozier, and they they take out. Bradley and Isaiah and those guys are now your backcourt and you go from there. And so definitely, definitely in the 30 minute range, the low 30 minute range for Marcus, I think he does so many good things. It's just, he needs to improve on some of those other things, obviously the shooting, but I see, I do see it, the potential for improvement in all of those things uh, especially with a more defined role. So lots of questions, man. He's going to have to answer them. Uh, let's, uh, let's, so that's it. Those are the point guards of the Boston Celtics. And tomorrow we'll be talking about the shooting guards. Some of us will be. I don't know. We're not sure. We'll get, we don't know yet. I don't know. We, I'm sure Marcus Smart's name will come up during the shooting guard discussion as well. That though. will happen as well. Absolutely. Uh, this reminder, if you are just listening to Locked On Celtics, there's a whole network out there, guys. You can go and download the Locked On NBA to get your full NBA, uh, just the overview and, and just some good guests and good knowledge on, on just the, the league as a whole. Uh, if you want to go and subscribe, you can subscribe to just about every team is covered right now. Uh, any team that's not covered will be soon. And it'd be great to just keep an eye out, an ear out, if you're listening to a podcast, for who our opponents are and what they think of us and, and what they're up to. And then, of course, there's Locked On Fantasy. Check them out because your fantasy drafts are coming up faster than you know it. And you got to get there. they got all the knowledge. They're going to be talking to everybody. You'll figure out who the sleepers are and all of that. That's going to do it for the Locked On Celtics podcast. Thanks for downloading. We'll talk to you tomorrow. This is the Locked On Celtics podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. You've reached the High Fashion Hotline. Hi, my family's going to a tailgate, and I want our style to stand out from the crowd. Just go to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, Old Navy's got all the latest fall styles. Plus, during Old Navy's colossal sale, you'll save up to 50% off store-wide. Did you say up to 50% off? I did, so don't sit on the sidelines. Old Navy has the perfect pants from 19 bucks, stylish dresses from 15 bucks, and comfy tees for the family from just 6 bucks. right now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. We're cheering for Old Navy. High Fashion, Old Navy. Valid 10 to 1010, select styles only. Rejecting the screen has been retweeted by Kobe, Dame Lillard, and Vince Carter, so it's fair to say you should give it a shot. I'm Noah Kozlov. And I'm Adam Stanko. Rejecting the screen hits your feed every Tuesday and Thursday. On Tuesday, we talk hoops and a little bit of life. On Thursday, we go ISO with a guest. Stories from anyone and everyone who has touched the NBA with tales we promise you've never heard before. Find Rejecting the Screen right now wherever you get podcasts and hit that subscribe button.